Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. We're going to talk about a life app this morning that will help you fight back if you will allow time for it to do so. Now, when I reveal today's life app to you, some of you are going to push back and you're going to say, Brett, that is just not a reality in my life. There's no way. And I understand that. But here's the challenge this morning. Instead of pushing back, because that's what we do as Christians, we come to church, the preacher challenges us, we hear it, we go, good sermon, now here's why I can't do that, and then we leave. Don't push back. you got to fight for this, okay? What I'm going to talk about today, I don't want you pushing back, you've got to fight for this. Because if you will fight for this, if you'll fight for them, for your family, for your kids, for your job, for for your sanity, for your health. There's great news. God stands ready to help you because not only does God want this for you, he commanded this. What we're talking about today, Now I know it's not popular to talk about what we're commanded to do. We're commanded to do what I'm going to talk about today. But understand this, there is no neutrality when it comes to this life app. You either apply this life app and enjoy the benefits or you don't apply this life app and you suffer the consequences. There is no in-between for this. To start things off, I want us to look at a story that's found in the Bible, 1 Kings chapter 19. If you've got your Bible handy, turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. This story has to do with an amazing man named Elijah. Now, we talked about him a little bit ago, really talked about his, his, uh, the, the young man he mentored named Elisha. Um, but Elijah was an amazing guy. He was a prophet for God. And God did some pretty cool stuff uh, with and through Elijah. He was the, the prophet when, there, the Israel, when Israel had a king named Ahab. And what you need to know about Ahab is Ahab wasn't a great king. Ahab really was a terrible king. And he was married to a woman that you've heard her name. In fact, you probably have said her name, probably not to anybody that you liked. But, but um, you would recognize the name if I said the name Jezebel. That was his wife. And uh, Jezebel was not a nice person at all. She worshiped the false god of Baal, and she basically brought Baal worship into the nation of Israel and was able to um, get a lot of people to go off to worship uh, a false god. And, and of course, that's you know, not a good thing. It was detestable to God. It was detestable to Elijah. So basically, there's a lot of controversy There's a lot of conversations going on. And finally, Elijah has an idea. And he says, hey, why don't we do this? You think that Baal is the one true God. Um, I think that my God is the one true God. Why don't we go to Mount Carmel and build an altar, each of us? You build an altar to Baal. I'll build one to my God. And we'll pray. And whichever God brings down fire upon the altar, that's who we will designate as the one true God. And that's who... We will worship from here on out, and we can all agree. And so um, the, word, the prophets of Baal, they say, well, that's awesome. We'll do that. So they, you know, bring it on. Let's do it. And Elijah says, deal, it's on. And so they build these altars at Mount Carmel. And Elijah invites the prophets of Baal to go first. And so the prophets come together, and they build their altar, and they lay the pieces of the bull out on the altar, and they begin to pray, and Nothing happens. It gets to be noon and nothing has happened. And, and now the Bible says that they start whipping out swords and cutting themselves and 
The Bible literally uses the expression that blood was flowing with regard to these prophets who were trying to get the attention of their God to, to light this altar, and it's not happening. Well, now Elijah, who is a bit of a character, uh, if you know much about him, he starts to talk smack to these prophets, these 450 false prophets of, of Baal. And so, um, you know, he's suggesting that their God has gone to the bathroom and that maybe he's asleep or maybe he's gone off to dinner, but he's certainly not listening to you. And what kind of God do you serve if, if he can't even light a small altar? And, you know, so he, he's really, he's rubbing it in. He's going on and on and on. Finally, he stands up at the end of the day and he says, enough of this, enough of this. Just sit down. It's over. It's my turn. And so Elijah takes center stage, and he has this altar built. And he's got the pieces of the bull arranged on this altar, and it's all set up for him. And remember, whichever God lights up the altar, that's the one true God. So he says, before I get started, take four buckets of water and pour over the sacrifice. Now what the Bible tells us is that he not only did he have the altar constructed, but he had a trench dug around the altar, and the Bible says that it would hold two cellars of, of uh, grain, which is, I looked it up, it's somewhere between 13 and, and 15 quarts, okay? So they pour four buckets of water over this sacrifice, it runs down over the sacrifice, over the altar, runs down into the trench that has been dug around the altar. Um, so that, that's happened, and you know, you know as well as I do, if you've ever camped in the rain, it's not a good thing to, to do that, you're not going to have a campfire that way. But what what Elijah does is he says, hey, do it again. Sure enough, they bring out four more buckets, douse this thing with water. Elijah says, do it again. Three times now, they've doused this sacrifice, this altar, and the water has, the Bible says, it ran down into this trench. And then Elijah steps up, and it's time for him to pray. And he looks towards the heavens. And, and what could only have been a very dramatic moment and he looks heavenward and he says "O god of israel father of abraham isaac and jacob the one true god answer me so that these people may know that you are alone the one true god and instantly fire comes down out of heaven and and lights this thing on fire and the bible says that the the fire tongues of fire went down and it uses the word licked the the water it it it, it consumed this water just you know just took over the sacrifice in a way that would have been very compelling and, and very memorable and everyone falls to their knees and and says elijah's god is the one true god but elijah's not done yet he turns to the 450 prophets of baal the kids would say 450 you know the 450 and and he puts them all to death he has them corralled up and and he puts i don't know what they'd done it was so bad but According to God wanted this to happen, and I don't all argue with God about that kind of stuff. There was, God had a plan, but these 450 guys have to die, and, and Elijah's the man for the job. And so um, you would call this, in some regards, a victory for God and a victory for Elijah. And that's kind of where our story picks up in 1 Kings chapter 19. Listen to how this unfolds. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. So he's talking to his wife. And how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Verse 2, so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely. If by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. So she's threatening 
the life of Elijah. She says, I'm going to kill you. Have you ever seen the movie The Expendables with Sylvester Stallone? That's a cool franchise because Sylvester Stallone went out and got all the other um, tough guy tough guys from all the other movies like Jason Statham is in this and and um, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Mel Gibson is in some of the later ones and if you go to IMDB and you look at all the people that are in these expendable movies every guy that you've ever seen in an action film is, is has joined forces with Sylvester Stallone to, to make these movies I have to think that's what Elijah felt like after this has happened he's got to feel like all those guys wrapped up into one he's just got to feel bulletproof and feel like one of the you know like like there's nothing that could stop him and and so when he gets this message you would expect Elijah to be unflappable you would expect him to look back at Jezebel and say I don't know who you think you're dealing with but God is on my side and I'm a prophet of God's and you better be careful if you want to play this game Bring it on, you know, we can do this, we can go if you want to. That's not what Elijah does. Verse 3, it says, Elijah was afraid. Wait, 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 wait. Elijah, you just put to death 450 guys, you're afraid? Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servants there, servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness he came to a broom bush sat down under it and prayed that he might die i've had enough lord have you ever been there lord i've had enough (laughs) i'm tapping out i can't do it stress is overwhelming me work is overwhelming me i've got too much on my plate I've had enough, and it leads you, and it leads me, and it leads Elijah to a very, very dangerous place. It leads us to disillusionment, and it leads us to discouragement, to depression. And it does not allow us to see circumstances in our life in a way that we really need to so that we can deal with those circumstances well. And as the circumstances of life get bigger and bigger and bigger, what happens to us is our view of God gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And our defenses are down. And as we'll see, there's a reason for this. The story moves on. Elijah said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Here's what's going on here. Elijah is smoked. He's worn out. He's emotionally and physically and mentally and spiritually exhausted. He is what my daddy would say. My daddy would say, that boy's give out. He's just give out. And when you and I get there and our defenses are down, we become incredibly vulnerable. And God knows this. He knows this about Elijah. He knows this about you and me. And what God does next is incredibly important. See, we think that what Elijah needs now in this current state is a pep talk. We think, well, we just gotta, you know, we just gotta give him a pep talk. Come on, Elijah. Don't you remember Mount Carmel? Don't you remember what God did at Mount Carmel? And come on, Elijah. 
Don't you know who I am? I'm the God of the universe. I'm not going to let you down. But it's important to note that that's not what God does with Elijah. It's interesting. Now, eventually, God does give Elijah a pep talk, but he doesn't do it first thing. What God does first is so easy to overlook, but it is so incredibly significant for Elijah and for us. And my guess is that those of you who've gone to church any length of time, if you've ever read your Bible very much and you've come across this story, it's very easy to read this story and blow right past what we're about to read and think, and think nothing of it. But I want us to catch what happens here because it's extremely important. Look what happens next, verse 5. Then he lay down under the, the broom bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. And who knew, but apparently this angel is driving around in a red Camaro convertible and probably doubles as the guy on drive-ins, diners, drive-ins and dives. Apparently he's into the food network because he's got Elijah eating all the time. Verse 8, so he got up and ate and drank Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. Now watch this pattern. Elijah is exhausted, completely worn out. And here's what happens. He sleeps, he eats, sleeps, eats, exercises, he walks a distance, and sleeps again. And the whole time, guess what's happening inside of him? The whole time, he's being recharged. He's recharging physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. See, you're like a battery. And you know as well as I do that when your cell phone battery leaks out through the day as they are so prone to do, especially if you're traveling, you know as well as I do that when your battery gets to the end and it conks out and there's no more life in your cell phone battery Life can come to an end for you, right? Because we're so tied to those things. And the last thing we want to happen is our cell phone battery to go dead because it's bad news. That's what you're like. You're like a cell phone battery and you operate the same way. And when you run out of juice, it's over. You're no good to anybody. And that's where Elijah has been, but God has recharged him. He's had him sleep. He's had him eat. And now he's rested He's ready to go, and then and only then does God come to speak to him. God doesn't speak sooner to Elijah because he knows that Elijah couldn't hear him. Some of you feel like you don't hear God's voice. It's not because God's not talking to you. You're going to hear the reason why you're not hearing God's voice in a minute. And so life app number three is rest. Rest. Let me tell you about rest. We so under-evaluate and under-appreciate rest. And do you know where we undervalue it the most, unfortunately? The Christian world. Have you ever noticed that we, we kind of take pride in the wrong things sometimes? I have a good friend, good friend, in ministry. He's served at this church for a long, long time. And it's a big church. It's much bigger than ours. It's probably 20 times the size of our church. 
And we were talking one time. He's a really good friend of mine. And he looked at me, and he, this was some time ago. He, he, but, but almost with great pride, he looked at me and said, Brett, I have not had a night off. I haven't been home. And he looked at his calendar, and I think it was like 32 days. He said, I haven't been home. I, there's not one night I've been home and didn't have to go somewhere for work and, and do something. And, you know, he, he almost seemed proud of it. Have you ever noticed that when we talk about the spiritual disciplines in life, have you ever noticed that, that when we talk about all the things that go into the, the, the life of a Christian, we hear about prayer, we hear about fasting, we, we hear about Bible reading and devotion, and all those incredibly important, but not just those things, but that's what everybody talks about. The one thing that's absent, you never hear people, see, whenever religious people talk about their religious world, and you know how I feel about religious people, they use religious words and they try to look religious. And so they'll tell you how much they pray and how much they fast and all that stuff. But the one thing you don't hear them say much about is that they're, they don't, you don't hear them talk about rest. You don't hear them say, you know, I, I made some time and I just rested. It's so underappreciated. I think we're afraid that we're going to be called lazy. I think we're going to think that our neighbor, you know, thinks bad things about us or our mom or our dad thinks bad things about us because we, we actually rest. Which is interesting because God talks about rest throughout the Bible. In fact, from the very beginning, God created the world, and then what does it say that God did after he created the world? He didn't go clean the garage. He rested. Now, not because he needed to rest. God rested to model for us what we're supposed to do. I want you to work. Believe it or not, God created us for work. Work is not just something that we do because of the fall of man. God intended for us to work. It's good for us to work. But God also says there's a point. I want you to stop down. I want you to rest. He made it one of the Ten Commandments. He modeled it. He taught it throughout the pages of the Bible. But somehow those of us who are Christians, we've missed this. And if you hang out at church long enough, you hear the dumbest things come out of the mouths of Christians if you just hang around long enough. If you you are talking about rest, and one of the things you'll hear them say is, I don't need rest. I'll rest when I get to heaven. What? What? You're going to have an immortal body when you get to heaven. You're not going to need rest when you get to heaven. Rest is something we do here, now. God said, I want you to rest. Well, I'd rather wear out than rust out. Well, why do we have to pick between those two things? And don't you get tired of people who kind of treat burnout like a badge of honor? Like my friend, I mean, it would be easy for my friend to go, you know, I'm burnt out because I've been gone for a whole month. Listen, Burning out is not a badge of honor. Nobody respects you more because you burn out. You know what people say when you burn out? Oh, man, it's too bad. It's too bad he couldn't realize that he didn't have to go at that pace. What the kingdom of God needs is not a burned out you. What the kingdom of God needs is a rested, restored, rejuvenated, passionate, energized you that's what we need but somehow we've missed this i I quoted this not long ago in a sermon um we read a lot of pay a lot of attention to a guy that that is a pastor of a church in chicago called the willow creek community church it's bill hybels is his name and i've said this about bill many times and believe it to be true 
um, and I'm including Billy Graham in the statement I'm about to make, probably no one has had a bigger impact on the global church than, than Bill Hybels. I mean, he has changed the game for the church, and Bill Hybels is responsible for a lot of what happens even in this church. He's had a huge impact on my life, on Kyle's life, on our staff's life. I mean, Bill Hybels is just an amazing, amazing leader, pastors a huge church in Chicago. And I've heard him say this at many times at conferences when he's talked about his own life. He, he, he makes this statement, the pace at which I was doing the work of God was killing the work of God in me. Let me say that again. The pace at which I was doing the work of God was killing the work of God in me. It's a serious issue. And if Bill Hybels can be seduced into going at a pace that's not good, we certainly can be seduced into going at a pace that's not good. And if we don't understand this, and if we run life at an unsustainable pace, it is going to be a serious, serious issue in your life. And what ends up happening is our life starts to look like this. But it's not just the Christian world. The medical community has been talking about this for years. They, they tell you and me that we need eight hours of sleep. Eight hours of sleep a night. Now, we don't believe that because we average about 6.9 hours of sleep a night. We, we don't get the rest we need, and we get on the treadmill, and we just go faster and faster and faster, and we get less and less sleep. So here's what happened. We get one less hour of sleep a night than we need. Take that over the week, that's seven hours that we lose a week. Instead of the eight we need, we get 6.9. So we take that seven hours, times 52 equals 364 hours a year of sleep that we do not get. Now right now, somebody's doing the math in their head as to whether or not my math is correct. Don't do that. Don't do that. Now, I'm going to extrapolate that out, and I realize this is just an illustration, but roll with it for a minute. That's 15 days and nights a year. 15 days and and nights a year. Think about if you stayed up 15 days and nights. First of all, you couldn't do that. Science has proven that, that going without sleep and then trying to drive is almost as bad, if not worse, than drinking and driving. And drinking and driving is bad enough. But they they say when you try to stay up and you don't have the rest you need and you try to drive, you're just as impaired, if not more so. You think if you stayed up 15 days and nights, you wouldn't be a little bit cranky? You think if you're going to work after 15 days and nights that you're not going to say something to somebody that you wish you had back? You think you're not going to do something that hurts somebody, maybe irrevocably? You think you might get into an argument with somebody that was needless and, and that didn't have to happen just because you were irritable and you just weren't ready for it? What do you think it would do to you physically? What do you think it is doing to you physically? Because some of you are doing that. You're going too hard, too long with not enough rest. And what do you think it's doing to you spiritually? Rest is a deeply, deeply spiritual issue. Parents, Do you know who's watching this? Our kids are watching this. Marcus Buckingham is a a guy that we've heard at Leadership Summit. He's an author. Uh, He got his start um, as a researcher, and he was with Gallup for a while doing Gallup polls, working for that company. He recently wrote a book called Standout, and he wrote this 
in, in his book. He said, a study of a thousand young people in third through twelfth grade asked kids and teens this question. If you were granted one wish that changed the way your mother or father's work affects your life, what would that wish be? In a parallel study, more than 600 mothers and fathers were asked to guess what their children's wish would be. So what do you think? What, if, if they asked your kids, what's the one wish they wish about your job relative to how it affects them, what do you think they would say? Here's what it says. Most parents guessed that their children would want more time with them. They were wrong. Only 10% of children made that wish about their mothers, and 15.5%, only 15.5% made that wish about their fathers. So what do most kids want? Most children actually wish that their mothers and fathers would be less tired and stressed. Let me read that again. I want you to hear it. Most children actually wish that their mothers and fathers would be less tired and stressed. It's a huge issue. And what your kids and my kids are saying to us is this. Mom, Dad, if you're going to spend time with us, we'd like that. We'd like for you to spend time with us. But when you do spend time with us, we'd like for you to be there. And we'd like for your full attention. And we'd like for that to be a rejuvenated, rested you We don't want you cranky because you had a bad day at work and because you've been going all day. We want you you replenished. We want an energized you. We want the the fun you. Have your kids ever looked at you and said, where's the fun you? Fun you goes away when you're on the treadmill going like Isaac was going. It goes away. You're not fun you. Nobody wants to be around you when you're like that, least of all your kids. Now, don't push back. I know you're tempted right now to hear me and go, no, Brett, no, 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 don't push back. You gotta fight for this. You gotta fight for this. This isn't something that you say, no, Brett, there's, here are my reasons. No, fight for this. Because you know this about you. You're better when you're rested. You're better when you've got some rest behind you and you've been able to take some time off. You're better when you're replenished and you're energized and you're passionate. That's just the truth. It was true about Elijah. It's true about me. It's true about you. Now, you know who got this right? Jesus got this right. You're like, well, of course Jesus got it right, Brad. I mean, he's Jesus. I mean, that's the, that's the Sunday school answer, right? I love this joke. If you've never heard this joke, this is one of my favorite jokes. Sunday school teacher, first grade Sunday school teacher is talking to her class, and she says, children, what's, what's brown and furry, has a bushy tail, and collects acorns and lives in a tree? And this one little fella kind of puts his head down and he goes, it sounds like a squirrel, but I'll say Jesus. Because <laughs> Jesus is always the answer in church, right? I mean, that's just always the answer. It's, of course it's Jesus. You say, Brett, of course, he did, Brett, he did everything right. Yes, I know that. But here's why I want to talk about Jesus for this. He modeled this. See, tomorrow... I don't know what's on your to-do list as I'm talking about all this stuff. You, you might have leaned over and taken out your to-do list and showed your spouse, Brett's off his rocker, look at my to-do list and tell me where I'm going to find any rest. And you've looked at him like, hmm, you think I'm going to find any rest? No, I'm not going to find any rest. Brett needs to find new sermon material, right? Or, or he's nudged you and he said, 
dude has lost his mind. I don't know how he thinks I'm going to get to rest. I can't rest. Okay, I, I know you got stuff to do. I know it's important. It's probably more important than my stuff. I know you got a list, and it's probably a long list, and I'd probably be really impressed if I saw your to-do list. But you know what? When you open up your to-do list in the morning, there will not be one action item on your to-do list that says, be the savior of the world. It won't say that. I know your list is important. Nowhere on your list does it say, be the savior of the world. Every day Jesus looked at his to-do list, it stared back at him. Be the savior of the world. Now, I know you got a lot going on. I know you feel like you're overwhelmed and you got the weight of the world on your shoulders. I know you're busy. You got a lot of stuff. But Jesus literally had the weight of the world on his shoulders. And yes, he was fully God. I get that. But the Bible also tells me he was fully human. That means when he got tempted, he really wanted to do it. That really speaks to me. I, I need to cling. I don't know if I can follow Jesus if that's not true. That Jesus was tempted like I'm tempted. That Jesus was susceptible to things like I'm susceptible to things. That, that Jesus got tired and exhausted the way we get tired and exhausted. Just like you and me. And if the Savior of the world has to understand how to deal with this, come on now. You and I can. He was able to implement this in his life with all that he had to accomplish. We can too. In fact, just Jesus had this pattern in his life. It, it might mean something to you, and it might be something you want to adopt. Jesus would engage in his calling, which was ministry, was his work, and he did that all the time. And he would do that, would do what God called him to do, and then he would pull back. And he would be replenished, he would pray, he would reflect. He would look back, he would look ahead, and then he would re-engage. He did, you see this pattern in Jesus over and over throughout the Bible. Now let me just show you one of those times. In fact, anytime you see Jesus do incredible miracles, you will notice he pulls away because it takes ministry takes energy away from you. Any of you who've ever done ministry, if you've ever sat with somebody and, and tried to counsel with them or talk to them and listen to them, you know that it's draining, not because you don't care, because you do care. Ministry takes something out of you because you're on point, you're trying to help, and, and you ever talk to somebody, at the end of it, it's like, oh my goodness, I'm worn out. Not because of what they said was bad or not because they're bad people, but just because you were trying to help and it took something out of you. I'm telling you, Sunday afternoon, don't, you don't want to be around me on Sunday afternoon. I'm a bad person. I mean, I just want to go turn on a game put my mind in neutral, and go to take a nap. That's all I want to do. I mean, I'm just worn out. Ministry does that to you. It did it to Jesus. And you'll notice he pulls away after it takes this energy. I want to look at Matthew 14. In Matthew chapter 14, and Leanne told, tells me that I've left a slide out, so I apologize. That you're, there's going to be one slide missing. Um, this comes right after Jesus feeds the 5,000. Huge miracle. And, and if this was us, and we had just done what Jesus has done, um, we would just move on to the next thing. But I want you to see how Jesus does it. He doesn't do it like we would do it. John, Matthew 14, verse 22, circle the first word, immediately. Immediately. See, Jesus understood this pattern. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. 
If you've got your Bible open to Matthew 14, verse 23, you need to underline that last part, by himself to pray. There it is. He's pulled off. He's going to rest, recover, replenish. Rest, recover, replenish. He went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he's there alone reflecting on what God called him to do. The next day, he re-engages. This is a pattern that Jesus models for us over and over and over again. And it leads us to our bottom line for our, our app for rest. Each week, I've tried to give you a little like saying to take with you through the week. And, and today's is this. Your life moves to a better place when you move at a sustainable pace. Let me say that again. I want you to be able to say that this week. Your life moves to a better place when you move at a sustainable pace. And if you run full out and there's never a chance of rest and recovery, it's going to move you to a bad place. You'll begin to break down emotionally. You'll begin to break down physically. You will begin to break down relationally. People won't want to be around you. And they're too nice to say you're being a jerk, but you are, and you don't even know it because you're, you're so worn out and you're so overwhelmed and you're so stressed out. And this will begin to have a trickle-down effect on your whole household. And pretty soon your kids start to pick up on the stress and it affects everything. And they start talking back and they start copping attitude all because you aren't rested, all because you're not the fun you. But the opposite is true as well. Life moves at a better pace when you do it at a sustainable pace. So I want to look at a couple of tips this morning. We need to move quickly. The first tip is this. Have a 24-hour Sabbath. And I challenge you to do that this week. Don't push back. Don't argue. Don't give me all the reasons why you can't have a 24-hour Sabbath in the next week. I know that you've got reasons. I know you could line them out for me. I'm challenging you in the next seven days to have a 24-hour Sabbath. Now, I'm really about to challenge you, okay? What I mean by that is no Facebook. <gasps> no Twitter. No email. I would challenge you to put your phone in a drawer Tell everybody, I'm taking a 24-hour Sabbath. I will see you in 24 hours. Kids call it, I'm off the grid. Get rid of it. Pull away from work. Pull away from email. And here's a newsflash for somebody. God actually wants you to enjoy the life he's given you. He wants you to enjoy it. Now, just real quick, just ask yourself the question. We're going to move real quick. Do I enjoy my life? Ask yourself the question. Let's keep moving. He wants you to enjoy it. So a 24-hour Sabbath does not mean that you just have to sit on your couch and stare at the wall, unless that's what Sabbath would mean for you. I know some moms, they would relish the opportunity to just stare at a wall for 24 hours. I can't believe it, 24 hours. I get 24 hours. I mean, if that's what you need, go for it. It might mean that you go for a walk. Burn some calories, get in shape. Might mean that you just go out and see nature that God has created and given to you. Some of you haven't watched a bird in forever. Go watch a hummingbird. 
Go see if you can go see if you can find a honeybee. You can't find them. They're gone. Do something. Get out. Guys, you're going to love me for this. Go play around to golf. Right now, the, all the dads are going, did you hear that, honey? <laughs> Ladies, I'm going to pay you back right now. Go have a spa day. Go, have, go do whatever that is that you do at spa day. I don't know. I just equate it with a mask of green, something on your slime, you know, slime all over your face. It doesn't look good to me, but you go, if that's what you, go do that. Enjoy some friends. Cook a meal together. Sit with some company and play cards. I don't know what your thing is, but de-stress. Enjoy your children. If you look at your life as a to-do list over and over and over again, you are going to be robbed of the joy of your life and of your kids and of your, your house that you work so hard to make look good, your yard that you mow that you never walk barefoot in. God commands this. He says, every week, I just want to remind you, I want you to remind yourself of all the good ways that I'm blessing you. Pull away for 24 hours and disengage. Now, I know you're thinking, in the business world, you're thinking, hey, Brett, that may be easy for you in the ministry world. I mean, I know you only work one day a week. <laughs> That's so funny. But Brett, my business will suffer if I pull away for 24 hours. I can't pull away for 24 hours. Actually, the opposite is true. If you pull away for 24 hours in your business, it's going to get better. We, we have cultivated a culture of rest among the staff at Cross Lane. Our guys know how to take time off. We encourage it here. If you're gone, we don't walk in and go, where's Kyle? Where's Tracy? We don't do that here. We encourage you. Go spend time with your family. Get away. Get away from this. Go, go take a vacation. Go camping. Take, take your kids to the zoo. Go to the children's museum. Do, be, be the fun you. Andy Stanley wrote a book called Choosing to Cheat. It's a, it's, a, it's a core value at our church. I encourage our guys, if you're gonna cheat your family or cheat the church, cheat the church. Don't cheat your kids. Don't cheat your wife. Don't cheat your, cheat your family. Get out of here. If one of these guys comes and says, Brett, I, I really need to see my family. Get out of here. Okay? Go be with them. You say, but Brett, businesses just don't do this. Want to bet? One word for you. Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A does it. I ate at Chick-fil-A yesterday for lunch. Could not believe how many people they had crammed into that one store. We pulled up to go through the drive-thru. We literally had to, we had to circle in. It was like airplanes trying to, you know, try, trying to find a way into the queue. I couldn't believe it. I mean, this, the, the line for the drive-thru wrapped all the way around the store. I thought, we were in a hurry. I thought, it's going to take us 20 minutes to get our food. I bet three minutes they had us in and out, had our food, polite, took care of us, great service, great food. They were packed. And I've always found it ironic that they're closed on Sunday they would make millions of dollars on Christians who love Chick-fil-A because they're closed on Sunday. And we actually get mad at them. Oh, man, I'd go to Chick-fil-A, but they're closed on Sunday. It's an awesome place. I mean, they do great business. 
You know what? For fun, I did this. I went out, I did a little research for you on Chick-fil-A. Check this out. In 2014, Chick-fil-A produced over $6 billion in sales and over 250 million original chicken sandwiches. 2014. They've sold more than 3.2 billion sandwiches since 1964. In 2014, Chick-fil-A opened 96 new restaurants. They have 1,900 stores worldwide. They're doing okay. In 2014, Chick-fil-A donated over a million dollars to 25 organizations. Every time they open a new store, they give away free meals for a year to the first 100 customers. This comes out to $32,000 a store. Chick-fil-A has given away, since 1973, more than $34 million in scholarships. Proof that a business can take a 24-hour sabbatical and thrive. Chick-fil-A is thriving. Everyone is looking at them saying, that business model will not work. You you cannot take a day off. You've got to keep it going. You can't break like that. And Chick-fil-A says, watch us. And they're doing awesome. Have you ever been working on a crossword puzzle and you're stumped, you come to a thing and you're just trying to figure out the crossword puzzle and you're like, man, I, I, can't, I can't get there, I don't know what that is. And then you put it down for a little bit and you walk away, maybe you come back the next day and you pick up the crossword puzzle and you're like, well, that's what that word is. You know what happened? Your brain got a chance to rest, you took some time away, you came back, you looked at it a little differently and you're able to figure it out. Listen, that's not just a, an illustration just for crossword puzzles. That's, that works in life. You pull away for 24 hours, you're going to be a better employee, you're going to be a better employer, you're going to be a better father, better mother, you're going to be a better son or daughter, brother, sister. And when you come back into the business, you see things from a different perspective. Rest isn't just a nice thing to do, it's a must. Rest is a must. A 24-hour Sabbath this week. And I'm just telling you, you're going to wake up and you're going to go, Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. No! No! No Facebook. Just breathe. Just, here's a hint, in all likelihood, Facebook will be there tomorrow. And when you re-engage the next day, you're going to be so much better. As you go through the day, you're going to find yourself enjoying your day. You're not going to be, all this social media stuff, it is so negative. Get away from it. Stop watching the news for 24 hours. Get away from the news. They're going to get that dude up north eventually. Just get away, just stop watching. Because when you're rested and you're replenished and you're energized, Your kids are going, yes, thank you. Tip two, I got to move quick. Stay off your phone before you go to bed. Don't look at your phone. Brett, why are you saying that? Because you're going to look at your phone, you're going to see a text, it's going to make you mad, you're going to lay awake all night, oh, I can't believe they said that to me. Can't believe they said that to me. An hour, you're going to lay there. Can't believe they said that to me. I'm going to write them back. And you write them back with no sleep and no rest, and you say something stupid, and you hit sin. And the next morning you wake up and you go, I cannot believe I sent that text last night. You know why? Because you're always more emotional at night than you are in the morning. I, from the time I was in Bible college, they've counseled us. Never counsel at night. Never counsel at night. That's why I'll tell you oftentimes, call me in the morning. Call me in the morning when you've had some rest and you'll see this from a different perspective. You're way too emotional at night. Do it in the morning. 
Don't look at your phone. Don't look at your email before you go to bed at night. It's going to ruin your sleep. You're not going to get the rest you need. That's not where Sabbath comes from, okay? Don't do it. Um, I got to go quick. Number three, every quarter take a two or three day sabbatical. Get away. Go, go camping. Go, go, for, you know, go see mom and dad. Go, go, get, go take your kids somewhere. Have something to look forward to. Give your kids something to look forward to. A, a, a better you, a rejuvenized, rejuvenated you. Every 90 days, take some time off. The most important thing you can give your husband or your wife and your kids is a you that's healthy. The most important thing you can give the church and God and your service is a healthy you. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, love your neighbor. How did he say love your neighbor? Love your neighbor as you love your... We're not loving ourselves very well. We need to rest. We need to take some time. you got to fight for this, okay? Your life moves to a better place when you move at a sustainable pace. 